Okay, hi friends. We're gonna go over the general chemistry review next. I decided I thought about doing OCHEM or bio or biochem, but I didn't feel like it, so here we go. Alright, so we're gonna start with atomic structure. So there are three subatomic particles that you need to know. Protons are found in the nucleus of an atom. Each proton has an amount of charge equal to the fundamental unit of charge, so 1.6 times 10 to the negative 19 coulombs. And this is either plus one or, um, yeah, plus one for the proton. Um, and they have one atomic mass unit for a proton mass, and the atomic number of an element, or Z, is equal to the number of protons found in an, ele in an atom of the element. So it acts as a unique identifier because elements are defined by the number of protons they have. All atoms of a given element have the same atomic number, but they don't have the same mass, aka isotopes. Uh, neutrons are neutral, no charge. They have a little bit slightly larger mass than the proton, and they compose the nucleus with protons. Um, every atom has a characteristic mass number, or A, which is the sum of the protons of neutrons in the atom's nucleus, and a given element can have a variable number of neutrons, so um, there's that. And then uh, atoms that share an atomic number but have different mass numbers are known as isotopes, so carbon has uh, six protons and three naturally occurring isotopes with 12, 13, and 14, so there's six protons, six neutrons, or seven, or eight neutrons. So then we have electrons that move through space surrounding the nucleus and are associated with varying levels of energy. Each electron has a charge equal in magnitude to that of the proton, but with the opposite sign, so negative one. The mass of an electron is approximately one over 2,000 of a proton. Um, so the electrostatic force of attraction between the unlike charges is far greater than the gravitational force of attraction based on their respective masses. Um, electrons move around the nucleus, which correspond to varying levels of electrical potential energy, so the electrons closer to the nucleus are at lower energy levels, and those further out in higher electron shells have higher energy. The electrons that are farthest from the nucleus have the strongest interactions and the weakest with the nucleus. Um, and these electrons are called valence electrons, so they're more likely to become involved in bonds with other atoms because they experience the least electrostatic pull than their own nucleus. So valence electrons basically determine atoms' reactivities. Um, so, in a neutral state, they have equal numbers of protons and electrons, and then losing electrons results the atom getting a positive charge, and gaining it results in them getting a negative charge. So, cation is positively charged, and anion is negatively charged. Uh, next, we have atomic mass and atomic weight. So, atomic mass is nearly equal to its mass number. It's the sum of the protons and neutrons. Um, and some mass is technically lost as binding energy. Atoms of the same element with varying mass numbers are called isotopes, and they differ in their number of neutrons, and they're referred to by the same name of the element, followed by the mass numbers, so carbon-12, iodine-131. Uh, only the three isotopes of hydrogen have unique names, so protium, deuterium, and tritium, uh, which is one proton, no neutrons, one neutron, one proton, and one proton, two neutrons, respectively. Um, so they have similar chemical properties as the actual element, and then the size of the atomic mass unit is one twelfth the mass of the carbon-12 atom, which is approximately 1.66 times 10 to the negative 24 grams. <laughs> Let's see. 
Then we have atomic weight, which is the number reported on the periodic table. It's the weighted average of the different isotopes, because um, almost all elements exist as two or more isotopes, and they're usually present in the same proportion in any sample of naturally occurring element. Uh, so atomic weight is both the mass of the average atom of that element and also the mass of one mole of the element. So a mole is a number of things like atoms, ions, molecules, equal to Avogadro's number, which is 6.02 times 7 to the 23rd. And we can think about it like 6.02 times 7 to the 23rd carbon atoms have a combined mass of 12 grams. Uh, we can go on to Rutherford, Planck, and Bohr. So Ernest Rutherford provided evidence that an atom has a dense, positively charged nucleus that accounts for only a small portion of the atom's volume. Before that, Planck developed the quantum theory, proposing that energy emitted as electromagnetic radiation from matter comes in discrete bundles called quanta, and the energy of a quantum is given by the Planck relation, E equals HF. Um, H is a proportionality constant known as Planck's constant, which is 6.626 times 10 to the negative 34th joules times seconds. And F, which is also known as the Greek letter nu, is the frequency of the radiation. Uh, then we have Niels Bohr, who used Rutherford and Planck's work to develop his model of the electronic structure of the hydrogen atom. So the hydrogen atom consisted of a central proton around which an electron traveled in circular orbit, and then the centripetal force acting on the electron as it revolved around the nucleus was created by the electrostatic force between the positively charged proton and the negatively charged electron. Uh, Bohr used Planck's quantum theory to correct some assumptions that classical physics made. So... Um, an object revolving in a circle like an electron may assume an infinite number of values for its radius and its velocity. The angular momentum and kinetic energy of the object could therefore take on any value, but by using that, Bohr actually put restrictions on the possible values. So the possible values for angle mo angular momentum of an electron orbiting a hydrogen nucleus could be given by L equals nh over 2 pi, um, where n is the principal quantum number, which can be any positive integer, and h is Planck's constant. And the only variables, principal quantum numbers of the angular momentum changes only in discrete amounts with respect to the principal quantum number. Uh, so that's like quantized angular momentum and quantized energy kind of connected. Then there's also the angular momentum values used in the energy of the electron to get the equation E equals negative R sub H over N squared, where R sub H is the experimentally determined Rydberg unit of energy equal to 2.18 times 10 to the negative 18th joules per electron, or joules over electron. So the energy of the electron changes in discrete amounts with respect to the quantum number, and a value of zero energy was assigned to the state in which the proton and electron are separated completely, so there's no attractive force. So the electron in any of its quantized states in the atom will have no, an attractive force toward the proton, represented by the negative sign. And the only thing the energy equation is saying is that the energy of an electron increases and becomes less negative the further out from the nucleus that it's located, so increasing n. Um, so while the magnitude of the fraction is getting smaller, the actual value that it represents is getting larger and becoming less, less negative. So, Bohr um, also described the structure of the hydrogen atom as a nucleus with one proton forming a dense core around which a single electron revolved in a defined pathway or an orbit orbit at a discrete energy of value. So if you can transfer an amount of energy exactly equal to the difference between one orbit and another, this could result in the electron jumping to a higher energy one. 
and these orbits have increasing radii, so the orbit with the smallest lowest energy radius was defined as the ground state, so n equals 1. The ground state is the state of lowest energy in which all electrons are at the lowest possible orbitals, and in Bohr's model, the electron was promoted to an orbit with larger radius or higher energy, which means that it was in the excited state. So that means at least one electron has moved to a subshell of higher than normal energy. And yeah, that's about all about that that I want to talk about. So electrons aren't restricted to specific pathways, but they are localized in certain regions of space. Um, and it's useful for, this is useful for explaining atomic emission and absorption spectra. So um, as electrons go from lower energy level to a higher energy level, they get AHED, they absorb light, they get to a higher potential, they are excited, and they're distant from the nucleus. So at room temperature, majority of atoms are in ground state, but when they get excited, um, either by heat or other energy forms, yield excited states, um, they can do that briefly, and then they'll return rapidly to the ground state, which results in the emission of discrete amounts of energy in the form of photons. The electromagnetic energy of these photons can be determined using the following equation, so E equals hc over lambda, where h is Planck's constant, c is the speed of light in a vacuum, 3.00 times 10 to the 8th meters per second, and lambda is the wavelength of the radiation. So this is just a combination of the two other equations, E equals hf and c equals f lambda. Uh, or h nu and lambda nu, so on and so forth. So the electrons can be excited to two different energy levels with these. When these electrons are returned to their ground states, they'll emit a photon with a wavelength characteristic of the specific energy transition it undergoes. And these energy transitions don't form a continuum, but they're quantized to certain values. So the spectrum is composed of light at specified frequencies, also known as a line spectrum, where each line on the emission spectrum corresponds to a specific electron transition. And each element can have its electrons excited to a different set of distinct energy levels, so they each have a unique atomic emission spectrum, which is like a elemental fingerprint. The Bohr model also explains the atomic emission spectrum of hydrogen, so it's the simplest one. Um, the group of hydrogen emission lines corresponding to transitions from energy levels um, of n greater than or equal to 2 to n equals 1 is known as the, as the Lyman series, and the group corresponding to transitions from n energy levels n is greater than or equal to 3 to n equals 2 is known as the Balmer series and includes four wavelengths in the visible region. The Lyman series has larger energy transitions than the Balmer series, so it has shorter photon wavelengths in the UV region of the electromagnetic spectrum. The Passion series corresponds to transitions from n is greater than or equal to 4 to n equals 3. And yeah, the energy associated with the change in the principal quantum number from a higher initial value to a lower final value is equal to the energy of the photon predicted by Planck's quantum theory. So we can derive this equation that E equals R sub H times 1 over N initial squared minus 1 over N final squared. So basically the energy of the emitted photon corresponds to the difference in energy between the higher energy initial state and the lower energy final state. Um, so when we have an electron excited to a higher energy level, it must absorb the exact right amount of energy to make the transition, so it results in energy absorption at specific wavelengths, and in addition to a unique emission spectrum, this means that every element has a characteristic absorption spectrum. So they correspond exactly to the wavelengths of emission because the difference in energy between levels remains unchanged, and identification of elements in the gas phase requires their absorption spectra. Um, so basically the takeaway here is that each element has a characteristic set of energy levels, and for electrons to move from a lower energy level to a higher energy level, they must absorb the right amount of energy. 
and they absorb this in the form of light, and then when they move from higher to lower, then they also emit the same amount of energy in the form of light. Okay, so we'll move on to quantum mechanical model of atoms. So Bohr's model basically ended up being inadequate to explain the structure and behavior of atoms containing more than one atom, or more than one electron. Um, it couldn't take into account the repulsion between multiple electrons running the nucleus, so we have to think about something better than that. Um, so Bohr thought that electrons follow a clearly defined circular pathway or orbit at a fixed distance from the nucleus, whereas modern quantum mechanics has shown that this is not the case. They localize within regions of space around the nucleus called orbitals. And the best that we can do now is just describe the probability of finding the electron within a given region of space surrounding the nucleus. It's impossible to pinpoint exactly where it'll be at any given moment in time, expressed by the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Um, so you can't simultaneously determine with perfect accuracy the momentum and the position of an electron. The electron has to stop, which would remove its momentum, or we would have to have it moving, which changes its position. So that's like a big paradox. So modern atomic theory proposes that any or postulates that any electron in an atom can be completely described by four quantum numbers, n, l, m sub l, and m sub s, which is according to the, um, or there's also, according to the Pauli exclusion principle, no two electrons in a given atom can possess the same set of the four quantum numbers. So the position in energy is described by its quantum numbers are known as its energy state. The value of n limits the values of l, which in turn limit the values of m sub l. So for a given value of n, only particular values of l are permissible, uh, yada, yada, yada. So the values of quantum numbers qualitatively give information about the size, shape, and orientation of the orbitals. And let's get into it. So the principal quantum number is n. It's the quantum number used in Bohr's model that can take on any positive energy value. The larger the energy value of n, the higher the energy level and the radius of the electron shell. And within each shell, there's a capacity to hold a certain number of electrons given by maximum number of electrons within a cell within a shell equals 2n squared, where n is the principal quantum number. The difference in energy between two shells decreases at the distance, as the distance from the nucleus increases because the energy difference is a function of 1 over n sub i squared minus 1 over n sub f squared. So then we have the azimuthal quantum number, which is the angular momentum quantum number designated by L. It refers to the shape and number of subshells within a given principal energy level, and it's important because it has important implications for bonding and bond angles. Um, for any given value of n, the range of possible values for L is 0 to n minus 1. So the first principal energy level, n equals 1, you can only have value 0 for L. And the second with n equals 2 is you can only have the values of 0 and 1. So a better way to remember this is that the n value tells you the number of possible subshells. So if there's only one subshell in the first principal energy level, then, then there are two subshells um, in the second principal energy level, and then so on. Um, then there's a spectroscopic notation, which is the shorthand representation of the principal and azimuthal quantum numbers. The principal quantum number represents a number, um, but the azimuthal quantum number is designated by letters, so the L equals 0 subshell is called S, the L equals 1 subshell is called P, the L equals 2 is called D, and the L equals 3 is called F. So an electron in the shell N equals 4, and subshell L equals 2 is said to be in the 4D subshell. 
Um, and the capacity to hold a certain number of electrons is 4L plus 2. That's the maximum number of electrons within a subshell. Uh, so the energy of the subshells increase with increasing L value, but the energy of the subshells from different principal energy levels may overlap, so the 4S subshell can have a lower energy than the 3D subshell. Next, we're going to look at the third quantum member, the magnetic quantum member, M sub L. This specifies the particular orbital within a subshell where an electron is most likely to be found at a given moment in time. Each orbital can hold a maximum of two electrons. The possible values of M sub L are the integers between negative L and plus L, including zero, so the S subshell with L equals zero limits the possible M sub L values to zero because there's a single value of M sub L and there's only one orbital in the S subshell. Then with the P subshell with L equals one, this is limiting the possible M values to a negative one, zero, and one. There's three orbitals in the P subshell, and then we have the D subshell has five, negative two to two, so on and so forth. So the shape of the orbitals is dependent on the subshell in which they're found. In the S, they're spherical. In the P, they're dumbbell-shaped. They align along the x, y, and z axes, and they're often referred to as p sub x, p sub y, p sub c. And the first five are demonstrated... Oh, I can see that, but you cannot. And yeah, we're not going to get into D or F. The shapes are defined in terms of a concept called probability density, which is the likelihood that an electron will be found in a particular region of space. So if 2p has three orbitals, and each orbital can have two electrons, then you can have six electrons added into the filling of the 2p orbitals. And as atomic number increases, so does the number of electrons. So it should be no surprise that the p block contains six groups of element, and the s block contains two elements in each row of the periodic table, the D block contains 10, and F contains 14. The fourth quantum number is the spin quantum number, it's M sub S. An object spinning about its axis has an infinite number of possible values for its angular momentum, but this isn't applied to the electron, which has two spin orientations designated plus one-half and minus one-half. So whenever two electrons are in the same orbital, they have to have opposite spins, so this is when they're paired, and electrons in different orbitals with the same M sub S values are said to have parallel spins. So, if you have a value of n equal to 2, the L value is 1, the M sub L value is plus 1, 0, and minus 1, and then the M sub S value is, there's like 6 of them, there's 3 plus 1 halves and 3 negative 1 halves. Um, for a given atom or ion, the pattern by which subshells are filled, as well as the number of electrons within each principal energy level and subshell, are designated by its electron configuration, which uses spectroscopic notation. Where the first number is the principal energy level, the letter designates the subshell, and the superscript gives the number of electrons in that subshell. So 2p to the fourth indicates that there are four electrons in the second p subshell of the second principal energy level, and the energy levels below 2p, which are 1s and 2s, have already been filled. And to write out the configuration, you have to know which, you have to know the order in which subshells are filled. They fill from lower to higher energy subshells according to the off-bow principle or the building up principle, and each subshell will fill completely before electrons begin to enter the next one. Um, so the n plus 1 rule can be used to rank subshells by increasing energy, so the lower the sum of the values of the first and second numbers, quantum numbers, n plus l, the lower the energy of the subshell. If two subshells possess the same n plus l value, the subshell with a lower n value, the lower energy n will fill with electrons first. 
So if we want to think about like which will fill first, it's 5d or 6s. 5d has n equals 5 and l equals 2, so n plus l is 7. For 6s, n equals 6 and l equals 0, so n plus l equals 6, so the 6s sub subshell has lower energy and will fill first. Okay. Um, you can also just read the periodic table, but that's up to you. Electron configurations can be abbreviated by placing a noble gas that precedes the element of interest in brackets. So any element in period 4 starting with potassium can be abbreviated with bracket AR for argon bracket. Um, but how do you write the electron configuration for an ion? So anions have additional electrons that fill according to the same rules. So fluorine is um, bracket HE bracket. 2s2-2p5, then um, defluorine anion is helium in square brackets, 2s2-2p6. And then cations are a bit more complicated, so you start with a neutral atom and you remove the electrons from the subshells with the highest n value first. So if multiple subshells are tied for the highest n value, then the electrons are removed from the subshell with the highest l value and these. So if we think about iron, it's argon in brackets, 4s2-3d6. And if we want to think about iron, the cation, 3+, plus, it has a configuration of AR3d5 because we removed the ones from 4s first. It's a lower in energy. Okay, so next we think about Hund's rule. Um, this states that within a given subshell, orbitals are filled such there is a maximum number of half-filled orbitals with parallel spins. This is like the best energy solution because this preferences for electron repulsion. If you're in the same orbital, the electrons will tend to be closer to each other and repel each other more than electrons placed in different orbitals. So half-filled and fully-filled orbitals have lower energies and are higher stability. And the two notable exceptions are chromium and copper. Chromium has should have the configuration of argon, 4s2, 3d4. But if we move one electron from the 4s subshell to the 3d subshell, that means 3d can be half-filled, so 4s1, 3d5 is better. And same thing kind of goes for copper. It should have um, 4s2, 3d9, but it's better for it to have 4s1, 3d10, so for it to be filled in that way. So the presence of paired or unpaired electrons affects the chemical and the magnetic properties. Of an atom or a molecule, materials composed of atoms with unpaired electrons will orient their spins in alignment with the magnetic field, and this material will be weakly attracted to the magnetic field, so this is paramagnetic. Um, and then materials consisting of atoms that only have paired electrons will be slightly repelled by a magnetic field, and they are diamagnetic. And all... Yeah, that's not important. So paramagnetic is parallel spins in unpaired electrons, and there will be an attraction. That's a way to think about it. I think we're... Yeah, we're almost done. So, valence electrons are the electrons that are those in the outermost energy shell, and they're most easily removed, and they're available for bonding. They're the most active. Um, yeah. Now we'll go over the concept summary real quick. So subatomic particles, a proton has a positive charge and a mass around 1 AMU. A neutron has no charge and a mass around 1 AMU. 
electron has a negative charge and negligible mass. The nucleus contains the protons and neutrons, while the electrons move around the nucleus. The atomic number is the number of protons in a given element, and the mass number is the sum of the elements, protons, and neutrons. Atomic mass is essentially equal to the mass number, the sum of an elements, protons, and neutrons. Isotopes are atoms of a given element, the same atomic number, that have different mass numbers. They differ in the number of neutrons. Most isotopes are identified by the element followed by the mass number. The three isotopes of hydrogen go by different names, protium, deuterium, and tritium, and the atomic weight is a weighted average of the naturally occurring isotopes of an element, so the periodic table has atomic weights and not masses. Then we have Rutherford, who postulated that the atom had a dense positively charged nucleus that made up only a small fraction of the volume of the atom. The Bohr model has a dense positively charged nucleus surrounded by electrons revolving around the nucleus in orbits with distinct energy levels. And Planck described the energy difference between energy levels is called a quantum, which means that there is not an infinite range of energy levels available to an electron, but that they can only exist at certain levels, and the energy of an electron increases the farther it is from the nucleus. The atomic absorption spectrum of an element is unique. For an electron to jump from a lower energy level to a higher one, it must absorb an amount of energy precisely equal to the energy difference between the two levels. And when electrons return from the excited state to the ground state, they emit... Um, to the amount of energy that is likely equal to the energy difference between the two levels, and every element has a characteristic atomic emission spectrum, and sometimes the electromagnetic energy emitted corresponds to a frequency in the visible light range. Then we go into the quantum mechanical model of atoms, so that posits that electrons do not travel in defined orbits, but are rather localized in orbits and orbitals, so an orbital is a region of space around the nucleus defined by the probability of finding an electron in that region of space. The Heisenberg uncertainty principle states that it's impossible to know both the position and the momentum of an electron at exactly the same time. There are four quantum numbers which completely describe the electron in an atom. Um, the principal quantum number n is the energy of the average energy of a shell. The azimuthal quantum number l describes the subshells within a given principal energy level, so SPDF. The, magne the magnetic quantum number m sub l specifies the particular orbital within a subshell where an electron is likely to be found at a given moment in time. The spin quantum number m sub s indicates the spin orientation, plus or minus one half of an electron in an orbital. The electron configuration uses spectroscopic notation, so combining the n and l values as a number and letter, respectively, to designate the location of electrons. So 1s2, 2s2, 2p6, 3s2 is the electron configuration for magnesium. Then we have electrons filling the principal energy levels and subshells according to increasing energy, which can be determined by the n plus l rule. They fill the orbitals according to the Huns rule, which states that the subshells, subshells, subshells with multiple orbitals, P, D, and F, fill electrons so that every orbital in a subshell goes one electron before any of them gets a second. And then paramagnetic materials have unpaired electrons that align with magnetic fields, attracting the material to a magnet. Diamagnetic materials have all paired electrons which cannot easily be realigned. They're repelled by magnets. And valence electrons are those electrons in the outermost shell available for interaction or bonding with other atoms. So that means the valence electrons are found in S and or P for groups 1, 2, and 13, and 18. And then for transition elements, the valence electrons are found in S and either D or F. And then a lot of atoms interact with other atoms to form bonds that complete an octet in the valence shell, which is the dream. Okay, so I will go ahead and end this here, and I'll see you all when I start on the periodic table. Bye-bye.